Network presents Football Time. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Football Time Show. The divisional playoff round is in the books, and what a round it was. Some of the best playoff games, definitely a best playoff games in a group I think we've seen in a long, long time. A lot, a lot of walk-offs. All walk-offs, in fact. Uh, you don't get that very often. Uh, I think it definitely made up for a... Uh, Sort of disappointing wild card weekend uh, with this great play uh, over the divisional playoffs. So, uh, really, really fun weekend. What'd you make of the weekend, Achilles? Oh, as you said, man, it was. Uh, it came down to the last play on every single game. I don't think that I remember the last time that ever happened, but it made for a great divisional round. Yeah. Definitely so. We'll get right into these games before we kick off the games. Little bit of news. Uh, with uh, the Saints coach stepping down, uh, you know, the other uh, day, uh, I, I think there were starting to be some rumors and stuff about him maybe getting a little burnt out, not wanting to do this. His name flew around in a couple extra jobs. What do you think Sean Payton uh, is going to do here? I, I, I tend to think he probably will take this year off. He's probably not going to take one of those free jobs that opens up. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, what would you make of the uh, situation with the Saints and Sean Payton here before we get into the games? I mean, listen, that that's definitely a blow to the gut. Uh, if you're, you know, part of the Saints organization or their fan base, uh, he's obviously one of the most talented coaches, probably one of the brightest minds in football. Whether you like him or hate him, um, there's no denying the fact that he's definitely one of the best coaches that were, that was in the league. Uh, and I think that now that he's uh, stepped down, because he didn't call it a retirement, uh, he made very clear that he wasn't calling it a retirement. He was stepping down. Uh, I think he's just burnt out, as you said. And uh, we've seen it over the last couple of seasons. You've seen, uh, you know, just in his physique, his, his personal appearance, uh, you could see that it was starting to to take a toll on him. So um, I, think, I think he made it pretty clear that his next goal is to do TV of some sort. I'm assuming that he'll probably cling on to the NFL Network or ESPN and uh, probably, you know, become a... a a play-by-play analyst or, or something like that within the within uh, the actual football network. So uh, I think that, you know, there's still a lot for him to do. And who knows, maybe the uh, the itch to return to coaching comes back at some point. But as of now, I think he's pretty burnt out and uh, it's understandable. Yeah, uh, definitely. So it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, he, he does pop back or he goes sort of the Bill Cowher route who uh, sort of was burnt out there after winning that last Super Bowl with the Steelers. Uh, sort of retired or stepped down, uh, got the job with CBS to be a, you know, talking head pundit and uh, found out that uh, you can get paid millions of dollars by showing up once a week talking football for two hours and then going home and uh, life was a lot uh, simpler and funner, uh, you know, and uh, never really got back in coaching. His name got floated in there, you know, a handful of times, but uh, Bill hasn't, you know, sort of re-scratched that itch. So I'm curious if, you know, He's one of these that takes, you know, uh, you know, a couple months off and then the uh, coaching bug starts to get the itch and he's starting to make noise and get back in or he sort of goes, oh, this is a pretty decent lifestyle here. I get paid to talk football once a week and uh, then I get to enjoy my life. So I'll, I'll be interested to see that. Uh, if I was Mike McCarthy, uh, I, I think I'd be a little nervous so, uh, going into uh, the uh, next season. Uh, I, I don't know how long that leash will be with 
with uh, Sean Payton dangling out there for the Dallas Cowboys, who have certainly had a uh, interest in him basically uh, since he started with the Saints there. Yeah, it definitely will be interesting. I do see a little stark uh, differences between some of the uh, coaches that are doing TV now and uh, Sean Payton. A lot of these other coaches, uh, you know, they're really good coaches, obviously. It's one of the reasons why they transitioned to TV, but um, they didn't have that scheming, game planning, you know, itch that I see from, uh, you know, from from coach. I, I feel like he's got that. He loves to put together plays. He loves to design things. You know, he's almost like a mad scientist in the lab. Uh, and whereas some of these other coaches was more uh, a love for coaching the game itself. So there's differences there. And, and I'd be interested to see what happens in the long term. But, you know, for now, uh, you know, goodbye. Uh, I, I won't miss him being this, you know, the fact that he was in the NFC. Uh, but I'm sure that there's teams that are definitely going to keep a close eye on him. Yeah, uh, the Saints might miss him, though. I think that one's. Uh, going to be a long rebuilding project. Uh, I looked the other day. There's 61 million over the cap going into uh, next season. Uh, so I, I think that's going to have to be a complete teardown. I don't know how appealing that job is. You know, a couple weeks back we ranked. You know, the job market. Basically, our whole lifetime, the uh, Saints haven't been a good football team. It's just been in this little, you know, 10 to 15 year window with Peyton and Breeze there that they've been really good. How entertaining do you think, or seriously, would you take this job? Uh, if you were a coach who wanted to latch on to the saints here, do you look at it as something that you could get your teeth in, or do you look at this as a complete rebuild? I'm going to be fired in three years when we, you know, win two, four, four games. Well, see, I don't think that it's a, a bad situation. You know, we've seen just from the tenure that he had with the Saints that they're not a team that's just going to willy-nilly cut you now. You know, he did have a lot of success while he was there, so maybe that played into it, obviously. But it does feel like the Saints franchise – as of the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era, uh, became a, uh, you know, longevity type of uh, destination where if you go there uh, and you perform well, you know that you're pretty much guaranteed to have a job till you don't want it anymore. Um, but as you mentioned, this is going to be a rebuild situation where you got to blow the whole thing up. And I don't know who has the confidence or the patience to start from scratch. Uh, but there's definitely people who are into that type of coaching. That's that's their style of coaching. They like the rebuild process. So there's definitely going to be some suitors out there, but uh, it's definitely going to be a tricky situation in New Orleans going forward, uh, having to uh, really revamp that that whole roster. Yeah, I think the ownership situation might be a little uh, interesting too. Uh, it's more the Pelicans that are, are thrown about getting sold, but, uh, you know, uh, the Benson uh the widow uh, who owns the team uh, isn't, you know, uh, what we, well, we call wealthy, but she's not one of those who uh, is wealthy, wealthy, where like her uh, wealth comes mostly from owning these two franchises, not from, you know, sort of outside the... the uh, she's not a Stan Kroenke. Yes, she's not Stan Kroenke, where Stan Kroenke could basically lose the Rams and uh, for nothing and still would be a very rich and wealthy man, whereas uh, a, a lot of their wealth, like a lot of the old sort of school uh, football owners, is sort of tied uh, to their actual franchise. So I, I definitely heard a lot of things about the Pelicans who the 
uh, the uh, Benson Widow also owns, but uh, there have been a little rumblings about, you know, the Saints uh, selling as well. So, uh, you know, uh, anytime there's a change of ownership, that's a, a little interesting uh, to sort of uh, sink your teeth into as well. All right, uh, enough about the non-playoffs. Let's get into the playoffs. Let's kick off with the first game of the uh Weekend, the Bengals went to the Tennessee Titans, won it 19-16. Really, other than the uh, Bills Chiefs, uh, this was actually probably the uh, sort of closest game throughout where both teams looked, you know, basically pretty much even, uh, you know, throughout the game, and nobody really got up on anybody uh, in the game too, too much. You knew it was going to be a mistake here or there in the balance that was going to turn deter determine it and uh it, it was the titans who made uh, all those mistakes really here other than a uh interesting i will say interception somehow uh you are basically have control of the ball when you have your uh two hands on the side of it and the point is sticking in the ground not quite sure how that one works out but hey uh nonetheless uh you know wide receivers have to hold on to it for 20 minutes and take 15 steps d-backs just have to somehow have their hands on it and it's okay uh but turnovers really decided this game i thought it was an interesting game plan by the Bengals. uh they they sort of uh tightened the Titans here where they made very few mistakes. They let the other team made mistakes. And then when they made those mistakes, they capitalized on them. Uh, you know, they didn't do anything flashy. They had a couple big plays here and there off, uh, you know, play action and, uh, you know, some freeing up of some receivers. But uh, interesting, the Titans sort of got tightened here uh, by the Cincinnati Bengals in this game. Yeah, listen, it was definitely an interesting matchup. Uh, and it was also interesting at the Achilles uh, household because uh, – we had the crew over. We had off-road uh, uh, Cleveland. We had uh, Dynamite Dave. We had, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Champ. We had everybody here. We're all watching the game uh, as Dynamite was nervously sitting in the corner uh, with his leg shaking as it was a, a much tighter game than everybody anticipated. I thought it was going to be a close game. Um, ultimately, like you said, it came down to the mistakes. There was just too many mistakes for Tennessee for them to be able to overcome, but I still think that, we do have to give them some credit. The fact that they had that bye week where they, you know, uh, basically didn't see any football action. And then you get a hot team in the Cincinnati coming into your town. And, you know, the whole uh, dialogue back and forth is, is this the new, uh, the new kid, uh, you, the new sheriff basically in town. Um, and he sure played a good football game, but Tennessee also did not let up. They made a lot of mistakes, but they stayed within that game. As we mentioned in the opening, uh, all four games came down to the last play of the game. So I think that we have to give some credit here to Tennessee after all the adversity they dealt with all season long um, to come in and play pretty bad, but still have enough grit and determination to stay in the game. I think it's something to at least give them some credit for. So I will say that I will give them some credit. Uh, you know, AJ Brown had a monster game. I think Derrick Henry, Probably came back a week too soon. Um, but overall, listen, congratulations tonight. They're moving on. This is the first time in franchise history that they get a road playoff win. I believe they were 0-7 prior to that. So it was a huge moment for them. Uh, the the uh, four seed uh, beats the number one seed, and uh, they're moving on to the AFC Divisional Round, uh, Divisional Championship now. Yeah, definitely so. All right, uh, let's get into some key points in this game. I, I want your opinion on them. Uh, first, let's get into Derrick Henry. You mentioned it. You thought he maybe came back a week too early. I don't think you had much of a choice. If he was semi-healthy, you were probably going to be bring him back. 
Uh, my question on this is, I, I thought he looked really good in the first half and, and then started to wear down in the second half. And, and we'll get into a couple other, you know, running backs who had missed long absences and, and then, you know, sort of, uh, I, I think, looked fatigued, uh, didn't look, you know, quite all the way fit for these games, uh, you know, and, and this was one of them. And, you know, we kept having Dynamite going, well, it's the fourth quarter, this is when he's going to get going. And it sort of was the opposite. He, he seemed to have a lot of energy early and, and sort of tired down of late, which, you know, he hasn't played football in, in, you know, about 12 weeks here. That's to be expected. So my question is, uh, Deontay Foreman had uh, four carries for 66 yards. Uh, I, I don't quite understand while someone who was successful you, for you, why Derrick Henry wasn't there why there wasn't a, more of a split there, especially when you started to see Henry not really uh, gaining those yards in the second half that he usually does. Listen, uh, I'm going to put this on the coaching, okay? Now, this whole game, I, I blamed it basically pretty much on, on, on Tannehill uh, with the mistakes he made. But going away from that, I think that that was a poor choice. I think that was one of the biggest reasons why this game went the way it did. And I'm going to blame the head coaches for that because – Listen, I understand Derrick Henry is the king. I understand that, you know, he was leading the league by by many, many yards when he was actually healthy prior to getting hurt. Uh, and he was probably going to be the rushing uh, yards uh, leader for the season. But he got banged up. Okay, you can't predict that and you can't change it. Uh, he came back after, you know, what a lot of people assumed was a season-ending injury that he wouldn't come back, which was miraculous in itself. But he wasn't completely healthy and he hadn't been able to get on, on the field and actually do football drills. I know he practiced the week of, but it's not the same thing to practice one week and then get into a playoff game against a playoff caliber team that's hungry. Uh, it's just really hard to do. Um, and, you know, I go back to the those stats that Dynamite David kept sending us throughout the, you know, the, the regular season and the playoffs. The, the Titans were just as successful at rushing the ball when they were using their other running backs while Henry was hurt. Yes, they ran the ball a little bit more because they had to, because these guys aren't home run hitters like, like uh, Derrick Henry is. And they were having success. So I don't understand why you'd go away from a formula that's working. They got the number one seed for a reason. Derrick Henry wasn't there for half the season. So these guys had to have played a role in that number one seed. And I think that they should have focused more on using them, utilizing them properly. I understand using him because if you have him, you have to use him. He's a home run hitter. But if you watch the game, that's one thing he lacked. You know, he is – Dynamite David was right. He is a fourth-quarter uh, grinder. He'll grind you down, and then before you know it, he's going to break off on a huge run where he stiff-arms a defender and gets 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 away for a huge touchdown. That was not the case in this game. He was he was slowly, you know, losing fuel as the game progressed, and it wasn't a Derrick Henry that we're used to seeing. Yes, he looked buff. He looked fit, but he was a football shape. He wasn't in football shape. That's all it was. I think they really – as opposed to giving him what they give him 20 carries for 62 yards yeah. uh, at a 3.1 average, which is not horrible, but you had Foreman who got uh, four carries, 66 yards for a 16.5 average. Now I know that there was, you know, big chunk plays there, which, you know, kind of dilutes the average a little bit, but you know, he looked like the better running back. I don't understand the point of the point of trying to force Henry into a game where he's really not ready to play. There's too much on the line during the playoffs to take a gamble like that. So I blame the coach for that. Yeah. I I think we'll get into that, too. I, I thought this was a really, really poor coach game by Mike Vrabel, who, uh, you know, basically I had him and, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin as my two sort of coach of the year candidates here, and I just thought he sort of got 
outsmarted by the Cincinnati Bengals and Zach Taylor uh, here in this game. You know, you mentioned it. They gave Henry 20 carries. I, I just don't understand why you can't reduce that to 15 carries. Give, you know, five, uh, you know, six more carries to Deontay Foreman. See what he does. Yeah. And, maybe bring in Henry on short yardage situations. We'll get down to that uh, third and fourth down call uh, in a second. I'm going to touch on the two-point conversion. I'm not going to hammer it too much, but uh, I will say in the second quarter at, uh, you know, it's 6-0. Basically, you can make it 7-6. And because they jumped off sides and you get an extra yard, uh, it's... uh, you decide to go for two. Uh, I, I thought a little bit unnecessary, uh, especially since I think the percentage is like 49% uh, from the one-yard line than it is from, you know, the two-yard line and stuff. So I, I don't know the percentage jump is all that great. And then, of course, what I really have the problem with is, of course, uh, always the play call on the two-point conversion. They do that thing where they shift, uh, you know, the line, uh, make a strong side, a weak side, and leave, you know, uh, a defensive end basically on blocked uh, from the opposite side they're going to run. And, of course, that defensive end who is unblocked comes storming in and, uh, you know, crashes up the play. And I I, I never quite understand that, uh, but uh, I just thought it was a little early to, you know, start doing math and score charts uh, when you can make it 7-6. Uh, at that point, and even more so, the play call on that. Yeah, definitely. Listen, in my opinion, it was definitely a little too early for try try and go for a two point conversion and take a commanding eight nothing lead. But you know, I guess when it comes down to it, some coaches are really all about the analytics, and I know the percentages aren't great as you mentioned, but I think that having Derrick Henry back, uh, playoff, you know, first playoff game as the number one seed. Uh, I think all these things kind of came into play. It's no longer just about analytics. It's also about atmosphere and feel of the moment. And I think that's the reason they attempted it. I don't hate it, um, but I, I also don't love it. I don't think there's a reason to try to do more than what you have to do, which is literally just, you know, uh, play good defense, which they did. Their defense uh, had nine sacks total. So, yeah. you know, turnovers and sacks. And it, this game was actually a, a defensive struggle for the most part, which a lot of people didn't really anticipate. But, um, you know, they did a really good job defensively. So I, I don't understand why you, you know, take such a, such a big gamble. Now, I understand that one point is not two points, not didn't really make the game. You know, they ended up losing by three points. So they still lose by one point if you yeah. uh, were successful in that three, two point conversion. But I, I don't like the call. I feel like it just really shifts momentum. Yes. Uh, you know, you kick the, kick the extra point, you know, then go back to the other side of the field and kick the ball off. You're up seven, nothing at this point. Number one seat, Derrick Henry back here at home. I think feel like it changes things, the dynamic of the game. So I don't hate it, but I also don't like it. Yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, pile on too much. It just seems like you were going to kick the extra point, and then because you gained one yard and you took a, you know, a conversion from two yards to one yards, you altered your whole thinking because of a, a one yard uptick. And then, you know, percentage wise, it doesn't even, you know, increase the uh, probability all that much. Uh, so you're just you're left with a point not out there, not that big a deal. Like I said, I think play call uh, more than anything always tends to bug me more here. And I just, I didn't like that play call. I never like sort of leaving uh, edge rushers who are built to uh, crash plays like that unblocked. Uh, Just sort of drives me a little nuts. But I want to get into the uh, real, real uh, 
big play that I, I thought turned this whole thing around. Um, the Titans are driving down, uh, and they got a third and one. Um, for first off, they send Tannehill in the shotgun, which um, it, it drives me. It's been a pet peeve, I think, basically since this has become the swag thing of on third and one you run out of the shotgun. So basically, you turn a third and one into a third and four or five. Um, but then to pile on, you, you're running a read option play with Tannehill there. You know that play gets blown up. You lose you know, two, three yards, you turn it into a fourth down at midfield that gets stopped running Derrick Henry, who, you know, at that point was not chewing up yardage. I, I can't hate the play. Uh, cause you know, I'd probably say 90% of the time he hits that. Uh, but because of that third down play, it led to having to, you know, run a big fourth down play. Bengals stepped up, got the stop when I think the Titans sort of had, uh, uh, you know, ready to run that game out. Uh, granted, the Titans' defense got the stop uh, after that, but it pulled more time off the clock, which I think in tune forced Tannehill to start having to pass the ball in that last drive series to try to, A, not give the Bengals the ball back, trying to get first downs, and B, trying to get down there uh, far enough to kick the game-winning field goal, which he forces the pass into the interception, which then leads to the Bengals. So I just thought that series and... Basically, that play call, which just seemed, I don't know, it seemed arrogant a, a little bit. Let's go at shotgun. Let's be cute and not just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry on third and one, get that first down. Uh, let's try some fancy read uh, option and see if we can blow up a big play here. Uh, that's That was really uh, sort of the uh, crux of the game, I thought. Those two plays right there. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And, you know, again, this all comes back down to what? The coaching, uh, and like you know, I'm not a huge fan of the you know Tennessee coach. Um, he just kind of rubs me the wrong way, and and a lot of it has to do with just his mannerisms. And you know, you said the key word there, arrogance. This is how he comes off to me, and how he's always come off to me. Now, I don't know him personally, and I've never had to really you know dive into into his uh, coaching career, obviously, other than you know just kind of covering games, but. Uh, he rubs me off as a, as an arrogant coach. And listen, he's got every right to, he was a great player, obviously, you know, won championships and, you know, he's had success as a coach. So he, whatever, whatever he wants to behave like, that's totally his, his deal. Um, but he, he, that's how he rubs me off as a casual fan. Who's not a Tennessee fan who just watches games where, you know, he happens to be on the sidelines. That's why he comes off. And then, you know, uh, again, I go back to that Der overusing Derrick Henry. Uh, you go back to going for that two-point conversion, go for trying to run, you know, out of the shotgun on third and one. Uh, I feel yeah, like these Derek are all Henry. arrogant. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I feel like these are all arrogant moves. Um, and not that I, I could be completely wrong. He could be the most humble person in the world. He just has that arrogant look about him. Um, and, and again, I just have to blame the coaching for this. You know, obviously the mistakes on the field, you put those on the players for making those mistakes, but the mistakes that lead to these mistakes have to be, you know, on the coach because he puts the game plan, he puts together the schemes and he puts the personnel out there. So uh, I got to blame the coach for all that. Yeah, definitely. So just uh, interesting play call. We'll go to the last uh, sort of, uh, we'll call it series and a half because the Bengals ran a couple plays to get into field goal range. But uh, Titans get the ball back off that aforementioned, uh, you know, turning it over on downs. Bengals, you know, 
Can't gain any yards. Have to punt it back to the Titans there. Uh, they get the ball first and 10 on the Tennessee 16 with about 243 left. And the uh, Titans are left sort of in that situation where they want to go fast, uh, but they don't want to go too fast and sort of leave the Bengals with the ball. So I, I thought play calling was a little bit weird here. You know, they ran a play, uh, you know, work it down to the two-minute warning. Uh, hit a couple uh, solid pass plays, and they're right, you know, in and around, uh, you know, midfield field goal range where they're a couple plays off, and they really started milking the clock. Uh, you know, they let Derek Henley right tackle from that 35-yard line, uh, a short little swing pass to Hilliard for five yards, which puts you in 35, third and five with about 20 seconds left. And at the you know, 35-yard line, you aren't quite in range to really be aggressive and go after a field goal, but you also don't want to give the ball to the Bengals, so you run sort of a a mid-tier pass play to try to get that first down, and and Tannehill, who basically played poor all season long, forces a pass into, uh, I mean, Westbrook Aquina, who I, I have to question that decision-making first off, you know, if you're going to go down, how about we force a pass into A.J. Brown or Julio Jones? Uh, you know, you're basically forcing a pass into your third, fourth receiver on the depth chart here, and it gets picked off, and uh, Cincinnati gets the ball back about, uh, you know, 20 or so yards away from field goal territory. They hit one or two, a nice place with Chates, and, uh, you know, hell of a field goal by Evan McPherson, 52 yards in a uh, walk-off sort of playoff situation. Nothing to, you know, sort of uh, shake your head like that's going to be automatic. But uh, just, once again, interesting sort of decisions, play calling and clock management that led to that interception that gave the Bengals a, a real, real chance. It seemed like they didn't want know quite what to do, whether just to sort of play for the tie or be aggressive and go for the win there. Listen, you know, we, we talked pretty much about this Cincinnati Bengals offensive line prior to this game, and we talked about how, uh, you know, one of the keys to the game was Tennessee, uh, the Tennessee's front seven actually getting pressure on Joe Burrow by uh, attacking this uh, hobbled offensive line. And, you know, we didn't really take into consideration the fact that um, this was the first matchup where both teams, both quarterbacks uh, were the most sacked quarterbacks in the regular season. I believe Burrow had 51 uh, sacks and Tannehill had uh, 47, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And, you know, it obviously played a big factor too because uh, teams were able to get pressure on these quarterbacks and they were able to make mistakes. Now, obviously the most uh, obvious mistakes were from Tannehill because uh, they were in big situations that cost pretty much the game. But, you know, also we got, I think we got to give some credit here to uh, McPherson. I believe he was the first kicker ever in NFL history to have uh, at least four field goals made in a game in back-to-back playoff games. So, um, you know, for being a rookie, uh, in high pressure situations, you know, where this team's never really been before to come on the clutch. I thought was pretty huge also. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So that's the, uh, Cincinnati Tennessee game ending in a walk off for the Cincinnati Bengals and a win and a trip to the conference championship game. Uh, we'll move to the NFC side of things. We'll drop the temperature basically, uh, to zero here. And I think it got colder as the night progressed, uh, of the games uh, that went on in the uh, divisional round here. Uh, This one was uh, probably the least entertaining. Uh, It did lead to a walk-off, but nonetheless, uh, 
not much went on here. I think my offensive summary for the uh, 49ers is going to be a really good third down run uh, by Debell Samuel for seven yards and uh, a, a nice uh, uh, 13-yard slant route by Kittle <laughs> on uh, one drive at the end of the game, which is basically uh, all this was. Um, you know... I don't really even know how to sum this game up because Packers come out, make a, a great drive in, in the first series, get touchdown, go 7-0. Uh, basically, the 49ers, the whole game, can't move the ball, but those first couple series, I they were basically in negative yard territories. Go a quick three and out, Packers get the ball, start driving down again. And, you know, you, you think it's stupid to say, uh, you know, the third series of the game, probably is really the key uh, of the series, but that uh, Mercedes Lewis fumble, the Packers are probably going down and scoring, uh, you know, again, 14 nothing. This game's essentially over, uh, especially with the way San Francisco was played. They didn't get that. Uh, Niners got the ball. Of course, didn't do anything with it, but, uh, you know, I, it just seemed after that, all the momentum was sucked out of the game. The weather was getting worse and worse. And then, you know, basically by the uh, second half, it was going to be really, really difficult for either offense to sustain, you know, long drives, uh, you know. And I think both teams got so conservative uh, that they didn't even want to attempt long drives because they were scared there was going to be some sort of turnover that, uh, you know, flipped the game. Uh, of course, you know, we'll get into it, but uh, there was a turnover. It's Green Bay special teams that uh, basically flipped the whole game uh, for them uh, a little bit. I, I will get into Green Bay's offense and Aaron Rodgers. I, I want a deeper conversation there, but uh, what'd you make of this game, San Francisco, Green Bay? Listen, I know it was a low-scoring affair, and it was probably – uh, you know, a bit of a back and forth as far as like defensive defensive uh, prowess and offensive struggles uh, is concerned, but still an entertaining game, another walk-off game here. Uh, and uh, I don't know who, but I believe somebody on this show probably calls San Francisco getting an upset in this one, but uh, we won't get into that right now. You know, this is the first time since 2010 where both number one seeds Did have been have eliminated. Did you have the play of the blocked uh punt for a touchdown and the uh, blocked field goal that uh, <laughs> I think I think I think it's on here somewhere I, I'll have to look through it but you listen like, we'll get San into that Francisco's later it's going to score no offensive touchdowns and win this football game in Green Bay <laughs> listen you you said it man conservative football now we knew it was going to be cold you know we knew the, the temperature was going to be frigid but one thing I didn't anticipate was the weather getting worse as the game progressed and that's exactly what happened and and they completely switched from uh, you know being a let's try to get offense out there, you know, and, and this just the defense being better to let's just get conservative and see what happens. Because uh, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, 11 of 19, 131 yards in interception, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, 225 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you're, you're probably, probably more than likely the MVP winner of the, of the regular season, no touchdowns in a postseason game, number one seed. Uh, going up against a, a basically a, a, what was it a six seat coming in? Yes, I, it's 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 bonkers, man. And I know you want to talk about Aaron Rodgers a little bit more, but uh, listen, I I talked about how San Francisco had a good chance of winning this game. They they had the right type of build to affect a team like Green Bay, and we've seen it pretty much every single time they face each other in the playoffs. Uh, they just were more physical on defense, uh, and they just made more plays on special teams. That's really the key here with special teams. I think that if you look at offense and defense. 
it's kind of a nil situation there. They, they kind of, you know, balance each other out. Uh, but special teams is where I think the biggest impact was made. Uh, and unfortunately for Green Bay, San Francisco showed up and they didn't. Yeah. Special uh, teams wise. We'll get in the special teams conversation. Uh, I, by now, at least, I assume everybody knows Green Bay had the worst special teams in the league, uh, which isn't quite always a death knell, but it definitely proved to be in this game. Uh, what I don't understand is... It's like basic special teams uh, stuff. You go back to that field goal uh, at the end of the half off the big play from uh, Aaron Jones. Uh, You know, uh, basically a a rusher is left unblocked. uh, So schematically you're wrong there. Uh, Same thing for the punt. Somebody misses assignment. That's what I don't understand. Uh, Basically all these specialty guys on the roster are there for special teams and practice special teams. So how you're missing assignments in, you know, a divisional playoff game, it's just confusing uh, to me. That's basically unacceptable. That goes one to the special teams coach and then, you know, climbs its way up to the ladder uh, to the head coach who allows this to go on. That That's like college football stuff, you know, missing assignments and ha- losing games in an NFL a professional football setting because you're missing assignments. And then, you know, it, it didn't factor really, but even that uh, last kick by Robbie gold, they only had 10 men on the freaking field. Yeah, that's, I know that's, I mean, it granted the 11th wasn't going to block the field goal. I doubt, but it just shows. even that, just, That's besides the point though. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure you're about to get into it. It, it, it just shows the, the level of incompetence on special teams uh, because Yes, listen, you probably weren't going to block that field goal. But listen, the 49ers did. They were able to block one. Yep. You know, what's to say that you're not going to? Uh, you know, you put your team up in a, in a – you're talking about the number one seed. This isn't the beginning of the season, you know, where we can make a mistake. Like, listen, they'll clean it up. We're in the playoffs. They had an entire season to fix this, and they didn't do it. They were the number one seed because of Aaron Rodgers and that offense, and that defense stepped up every now and then. But it was because of that offense. You know, how you don't fix these issues – that you're dealing with that are obvious, you know, is one of the reasons why you are no longer in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. So I just, that, that last one doesn't affect it, but it goes to the whole mindset that led to the things that did affect the game, the block punt leading to the touchdown, uh, which basically gave San Francisco, you know, the tied game and the blocked field goal right before the half, which gave, would have given green Bay a 10, nothing lead, which at that point I think also would have been, Basically, you know, uh, not a chance for San Francisco to come back. I think at any point, if Green Bay had gotten out to a two-score lead, there was no chance San Francisco was going to be able to put together, you know, a a drive over 40 yards. They basically had to find ways to steal points, and the Packers let them find ways to steal points in this one. Yeah, listen, you know, now you've got to, like I said, you're talking about a team that barely got into the playoffs and a lot of people didn't give him a shot. Uh, but now uh, Aaron Rodgers is 0-4 against San Francisco in the playoffs all time. Obviously not the type of record that you want to deal with. And it raises a couple of big questions. You know, the first big question is what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? What's the future hold for him? You know, I think in the post-game conference, he uh, openly spoke about how, He's going to take some time to think about his options, but he'll definitely make a decision prior to, you know, the franchise tag deadline, things like that. Uh, and, and I think that's pretty big of himself to, 
not just give the team, but also the rest of his, of his, you know, teammates, uh, you know, enough of a window to make decisions based off what his decision is going to be. So obviously that's pretty big, but you know, we await to see what the news of that is. Um, the next two bit, uh, bits of news that come out of this game is what is uh, Debo Samuel's health uh, coming into his next game? And what is George Kittle's health? Because Debo Samuel is a baller. That dude is a baller, man. He is a football player. He, I know he plays wide receiver, and they use him as a running back. But that dude can play any position in football, man. I would gladly have that guy on my team. He plays hard, plays physical, and he doesn't care who's lining up next to him. Man, the dude's a beast. I, I love Debo. He's a really good player, and I just hate the fact that we have to go up against him twice a year. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get into the Aaron Rodgers thing. You know, he, he said he's going to make his decision. Um, you know, I, I have been on the – Aaron Rodgers sort of bandwagon and he'll stay in Green Bay. I think if I'm Green Bay, I think I'd probably cut bait. Uh, not because he's going to be a bad quarterback. He's going to win any team, you know, uh, 11 to 13 games, no matter where he goes. Uh, but this is what we're getting in the playoffs. We've gotten it, I don't know, six years in a row. It's always something. And then, you know, I don't know if it's just this week, but it, it's entering sort of Kyrie Irving territory where he's going, I don't want to be, you know, the main source of attention. And then basically he's on every sports talk radio show, uh, running his mouth about this and that, then how everybody who was watching the game uh, wanted them to lose. I'm like, how does that affect your offense? <laughs> the TV viewers are affecting how you all play on offense. I, I mean, they had, his last possession, sorry to cut you off yeah. again, but his last possession netted negative six yards. That's what I was going to say. M MVP candidate, yeah. negative six yards. That's what I was going to say. They had the ball three different times uh, after that punt block uh, where the Niners basically did nothing. They could have drove down, gotten a field goal, uh, probably not a field goal because Lord knows uh, what would have happened there, uh, but they could have gotten a score and, and put this game away. Uh I think we both can agree the 49ers were not making long drives, uh, you know, from the 25-yard line uh, into their territory with the way their offense was playing. He didn't do it, and I thought he, frankly, missed a couple throws there. And it just seems at this point, I think it's more hassle than what it's worth. You look at that division, I mean, if you could keep the rest of this team together, I don't know if Jordan loves the answer, but if you bring in, you know, some mid-tier quarterback... I mean, the Bears, I don't think, are going to be contenders in this division. The Vikings are in a total rebuild. And uh, the Detroit Lions, I think we can write off uh, for the rest of our lifetime and probably a handful of lifetimes after that. Uh, so I, I think you can get away with dumping him, start this rebuild. Maybe if you really do trust Jordan Love, you go there. I think you enter the same territory as the rest of those teams with that one. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I think the hassle ha has sort of become more than what you're getting because basically you're getting 12, 13 wins and, you know, a, a first or second round playoff exit with this team. It's just we've seen it over and over. Uh, the same thing happens in every single playoff game here, and I just think it's probably time to cut bait here. Listen, I have to agree with you to some extent. I don't think that uh, for the not for the same reasons exactly, but you have to look at this from the you know the upper brass uh, viewpoint uh, here in Green Bay. 
they invested a lot in Jordan Love. You know, they they think that that was their next guy. What does it say about him if you keep Aaron Rodgers going forward? Because I don't think you can keep him. You're going to have to pay him at some point. Um, uh, and it's going to cost too much money. There's going to be there's just not enough cap room to keep both of those guys. And I, I think it also deteriorates his confidence level to, to see this guy, you know, after so many different exits in the you know, first or second round of the playoffs, again, um, you know, basically keeping the job uh, when you were brought in to do the job. So I think it, I think that's one of the reasons why you can't keep him. Another reason is if he goes, I think Devontae is going. I don't think he stays yeah. uh, or he wants out. You know, I don't know whether they can franchise tag him or not. I'm not up to date with his uh, contract situation, but um, I don't think he's going to want to be there if Aaron Rodgers is not there. And if Aaron Rodgers is not there, Devontae Adams is not there, what else do you have? You know, love him or hate him, Aaron Rodgers is like a Tom Brady-esque type quarterback. He's going to make all the players around him better. And a lot of these players really aren't that great. We've seen them leave Green Bay, go on to what they believe is going to be green, you know, greener pastures where they can be the guy. And what happens? They all come right back to Green Bay because they can't do anything anywhere else. You know, the quarterback is, is driving that team. And yes, you do have basically a guaranteed playoff spot if Aaron Rodgers stays, but I think that you've ruined the rest of that franchise, uh, in the rest of that personnel, whether it starts in the quarterback room, uh, you know, going down from Jordan Love all the way down to third stringers and whatnot. But it, it's a bigger impact. It, it's like a, a wave that, uh, you know, trickles down to the rest of the uh, personnel there. So I don't think it's in your best interest to keep them. I think it's in your best interest to last year. I mean, it would have been awesome. They could have got so much out of him. I believe Denver was offering basically the entire house to get him. Um, I don't know if he would hold that type of value if he decides to play another year and you could send him somewhere else. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I think that right now it worked best for both parties, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to probably split ways. Now I know it sounds crazy to say who wants to split with Aaron Rodgers, but I think it's just in their both, in both of their best interests. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And I, I'm going to hammer a little bit of his decision-making in, in this game as well. Uh, you, you mentioned he, he attempted 29 passes. Uh, 21 of those targets were Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. One to Alan Lazard. Uh, one to Randall Cobb, who he demanded he had to have uh, for him to come back. Uh, so he was a real turning force there. Uh, he loved Randall Cobb so much he threw to him one time in this game. Uh, so it... it he seemed just, uh, let's force the ball to Devontae Adams. If that's not there, check down to Aaron Jones. I just thought, I thought he was poor in this game. That doesn't mean he's going to be poor. And I guarantee you next season, if he's on this team or any other team, they're winning 12 to 13 games. I just, it, it becomes, like I said, it, it's a little Kyrie Irving situation. Uh, yeah, he'll score you 27 points every game. But it, how much of this do you really want to deal with? Uh, you know, every week it's always, you know, something. Uh, on the other side of things, San Francisco gets through. Uh, I, I'm going to hammer Jimmy G a little bit with his F the Green Bay Packers and strutting around. Like uh, he was uh, at some point uh, the reason the 49ers won this game. Uh, they've won two games in a row now in the playoffs despite uh, Jimmy G, who's been awful. And he was terrible in, in this game. So much so that on third and seven, um, from basically a, a place where you aren't going to kick a field goal, uh, I doubt they were attempting a 55-yarder in the freezing cold uh, with Robbie Gould. They were like, 
nah, let's not have Jimmy G throw the ball here. Let's hand the ball off to Debo Samuel in hopes he gets seven yards so we can get in field goal range. So they thought the perspective of punting to Aaron Rodgers was more conducive than having Jimmy G drop back and throw on a must-have third and seven. So, uh, you know... Jimmy G can probably pipe it down a little bit uh, here uh, about his, uh, you know, worthiness of this team. This team is built on Elijah Mitchell, their running game, and uh, Debo Samuel, and a really, really uh, good Debo defensive line. Uh, Jimmy G sort of uh, can make or go, uh, I think, here. Now, listen, we're going to play a little bit of good cop, bad cop here, okay? Um, Obviously, you were just a good cop. No, I'm kidding. You were obviously the bad cop. So I'm going to be the good cop here, okay? So even though Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers are crazy, 11 of 19, 131 yards in that one interception I talked about, um, you know, he walks around with swagger. Why does he walk around with swagger? Uh, Because he's a very lucky individual, okay? He was born with very good looks. He He was born with enough talent that he got drafted into the NFL. And he was born with a lot of luck because... Even though he hasn't been playing, you know, outstanding, his numbers aren't amazing for the year. Jimmy G is 21 and six. That's 0.778% win percentage as a starter on the road. Okay. The 49ers have won nine of the last 11 games after starting three and five. So there's a reason why he walks around like that because things just seem to work out for him. And, you know, it's not always because of him. But he's around when they happen to work I, out, I so it builds that in confidence. In spite of him, in spite of him. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I believe what's that record? I'm trying I will to remember say what he the... made the one pass to Kittle on the third down before the uh, Debo Samuel run. Uh, you know, yes, he was capable of completing a, a, a slant pass to Kittle. So bully on him for there. Uh, they. Basically, like I said, the 49ers offense uh, consisted of making a slant pass and a seven-yard run uh, that won them the game. But listen, the hero of the game here is is Robbie Gold, right? He's the guy who kicked the game-winning field goal. He's the guy who basically kept them in the game. Uh, But Robbie Gold is 20 for 20 on field goal attempts in his career in the postseason, uh, which is the most makes without a miss. So they've got him to add an extra swagger uh, to Jimmy G. So uh, don't expect Jimmy G to, to uh, knock it down a few notches here. Yeah. Uh, well, you can basically say Robbie Gold uh, got him into the playoffs when he was uh, punting to the Rams out of his own end zone, which I, I doubt he'd done very much. And he punts a pretty decent one. Granted, uh, the Rams play calling on the preceding next three plays, I will question for the rest of my life. And we'll probably get into that on a Friday's or Saturday's show that they're now playing a team that they could have uh, not even had in the playoffs if they had uh, done a couple things right on the last week of the season. But nonetheless, the uh, 49ers move on. Before we go past this game, I don't think you could probably get rid of Matt LaFleur considering he's won 13 games all three (laughs) years in his row. But uh, this team has been a dud uh, three years in a row in the playoffs. Granted, two of those were in conference championship games. but I, I, and I give a pass on that uh, first year versus the 49ers. That team was a ridiculously good team. But last year playing that Tampa Bay Bucks team, I thought they were the better team. Uh, he decided to kick a field goal instead of go for a touchdown that would have won the team the game and never saw the ball again. And then this week, the offensive genius, uh, you know, produced uh, 10 points in this game. Uh, I... I don't think you could fire him, but 
if you're bringing Rodgers back, you have to at least stare at it a little bit and be like, what are we doing here in the playoffs? How much are these regular season uh, wins worth here? Listen, I, I will say this, okay? There's definitely – the thought comes up in my head whenever I think about these head coaches who – are basically, you know, called the next big thing or, or, you know, a great offensive genius head coach, um, like guys like Matt LaFleur or McCarthy when he was in Green Bay. How much of it is the quarterback? You know, I think about Bill Belichick and I'm like, you know, he didn't have a lot of success back in Cleveland. And, you know, all of a sudden Tom Brady comes in and, you know, their dynasty. And I'm like, how much of that is just really Tom Brady? And he's just along for the ride. We saw it this season. Bill Belichick did a really good job, which is one of the reasons why he's my coach of the year. Uh, but uh, that's a you know, story for a different day. How much of it is Aaron Rodgers? How much of his success can we really put on Aaron Rodgers? You know, we said anywhere Aaron Rodgers go, you're going to get 11 wins at least, uh, regardless of what team he's on. Maybe not so to how try. Much of this- I should maybe not to try. <laughs> Listen, I'm, again, I'm going to be the good copy, okay? Because I saw a video on Twitter someone posted um, a Detroit Lion fan who was watching that Rams-Bucks game, and he had the exact same reaction that I had watching the game at home uh, on that last play. We'll get into that game in a little bit, but I got a lot of love for Lion fans because of that guy, so I'm not going to sit here and trash the Lions. I think the Lions are going to make the Super Bowl at some point. Uh, so, oh, so will anyways. he be alive? <laughs> Stop trying to make me the mean guy. Okay, I just said I like a the Lions and their Rams fans. games like last week. I, I don't even think you're going to make it to another two or three years. Listen, I, this, I got one more thing to give you before we move on to the next game, okay? And I'm only throwing this one out there. Well, you know why. You'll know why I'm throwing it out there, okay? But uh, in six of eight postseason matches between these two teams, the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, the winning team lost in the following matchup. So keep that in mind. Yeah, you're going to, you, you're holding on to that stat hard because the other ones <laughs> don't favor you. <laughs> hey, that's the one, that's the one that I wrote down. That's the one I would keep reading pretty much all week long. Uh, if I had known that was coming, I, I pulled the whole list of things no, here to go the exact no, opposite way. No, I don't, I don't. I, you don't have to talk about those. Okay, we'll, we'll move on. All right, let's move on to the next game. And the reason we're a couple days late is uh, the Achilles heart has just started to rebeat here. Um, uh, it, it was fluttering nicely for the uh, first half, uh, basically for the first three quarters, uh, probably basically until the last four minutes of the game, uh, pretty much. And, and then uh, I, I'm not sure if it's still... Uh, on a regular heartbeat, but uh, it, it at least is uh, uh, normalized off a little bit here. But the uh, Rams uh, win 30-27, um, totally dominate this game. Uh, pretty much throughout, the defense was uh, I just ridiculously good throughout. And if it wasn't for the offense, uh, basically, I think, purposely trying to lose this game, uh, they would have dominated this one. But uh, Rams got out to a really hot start. Uh, they went with the passing game plan early, which I, I really, really liked. Uh, you know, aggressive downfield throws, beat up on this Tampa Bay secondary, where I thought they had good matchups, both uh, Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham uh, Jr. really, really well. Higby had some nice plays over the middle. Uh, just loved the game plan early. Uh, but uh, per the uh, Rams, uh, basically all season long, I think uh, one thing went wrong. 
And uh, that turned into a, a, a giant avalanche where everything uh, started to go wrong there. Uh, you know, Brady couldn't do anything in that first half. He throws a, I, I thought that was just a terrible pick, a, a flutter ball up, you know, out of your own uh, end zone there. Rams get the ball. And then I thought they got a little too cute there. And uh, the fumble uh, right before the goal line where they were trying to sort of score uh, with 0-0-0 on the clock. I don't think it changed the whole game, but it sort of flipped everything and everything sort of started to lead to a bad territory there. But uh, Rams end up getting the walk-off field goal. But what did you make of this game? Listen, I believe that the text message uh, chain that uh, you and I had going back and forth start off with, this is how you're supposed to start the game. They got to keep this type of pressure on. They got to stay aggressive. Uh, and then it proceeded to, oh, F no. What the F is going on? Are you effing kidding me? WTF. And what the heck is going on? I, I believe that's the, the way it went. Um Listen, the Rams came out and they started off really hot defensively. I, I think that they're probably the best defense that's still available in the playoffs, uh, even though the Niners had a pretty good defense themselves. And obviously the Bills had probably the number one defense in the league. But, you know, we that saw how that turned out. true. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. For the upcoming <laughs> <game>. <laughs> uh, but listen, the Rams defense, they've been playing lights out pretty much all play uh, throughout these playoffs. And I know it's only two games, but, uh, you know, they matter. Um, I think Matthew Stafford did a really good job. I talked about it in the pregame sh uh, show that we did that I thought in order for the Rams to win this game, there had to be good balance. You know, I understand the way you attack this Tampa team is through the air because that's where their weakness is. That's where they're banged up. Um, but you could not get away from the balance. We saw it in that 49er game. The Rams got up pretty early on. They got aggressive. And in that second half, the balance wasn't there. So what happened? The Niners got back into it, and they're able to win the game. And now we're facing the same team that just came back on us week 18 of the season. We're facing them in the NFC Championship game. So obviously it was a big thing. They were able to stay balanced. I believe Cam Akers got 24 rushes for only 48 yards, which is a really low average. It's a 2.0 average uh, you know, per carry. But this is the thing. It was very important for them to stay balanced because that's the only reason they were. I know a lot of people didn't like some of the calls that they had, um, especially late on in the game when Tampa Bay was really starting to, you know, make a game of it. But I feel like they were necessary. We drained enough clock to get to a point where we had a chance to win the game. And it wasn't being put on Brady's hands to come back and drive down and win the game. We had the ball at the end of the game, which I thought was the most important factor. Um you know, I got to give Tom Brady some credit, man. And I told you, we in our text message, we'll go back and forth. You can't give him a, you can't give him an inch. You give this guy a hand, he takes a whole freaking arm. Okay. That's, that's one of the reasons why this guy's considered the GOAT. Uh, he, he's going to make everyone around him better. And even, uh, you know, though we got Jalen Ramsey, probably the best cornerback in the league, he's going to find a way to get a ball to his guy, uh, which he did. And Mike Evans had a pretty good game too. Now, some of them obviously weren't on Ramsey, but a couple of them were. And it's the chemistry between, you know, Evans and Brady. Um, Gronk, you know, got in the game a little bit, not as much as they would have liked to. Obviously, he had a lot of targets. Uh, he just couldn't convert those to catches because that Rams defense was on him pretty much all night long. Yeah, uh, definitely so. Uh Let's get into a couple key points in this one. Uh, certainly that uh, drive uh, right uh, before the half. I, I, I talked about it. I just thought they went into their conservative shell trying to bleed that whole clock because they didn't want to, you know, give Brady the ball back. 
But I, that's where I, I'm like, read the temperature of this game right now. Uh, the way that defense is playing, basically, I think you wanted Brady on the field with the way uh, those Rams were rushing the passer. And so I was like, get that ball in the end zone, punt the ball off. If he has a minute, he has a minute. Uh, trust your defense, which it basically, I think he had three completions uh, at that point of the game. He, he wasn't doing anything. So I, I just didn't like it. Now, granted, the fumble was a, a little bit fluky uh, there, but I just thought they had had success being aggressive, and they had sort of pulled back and went into... Uh, they weren't playing up-tempo, but they were you know, playing at a fast, aggressive play, pace, and I, I thought they got to the uh, about the 20, the 15, and they just sort of slowed it down, and I thought that was a mistake. It, it sort of let the uh, Tampa Bay defense set up, not be on their heels, and that led to, you know, uh, where they could make a play, which they made the play and got the fumble, which that's when our, our text message was like, man, you got to put your foot on these guys' throats. Just keep scoring points. Stop, you know, playing the clock. The way you beat this team, score, 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 make them have to, uh, you know, throw the ball. They ended up having to throw 55 times versus defense, which led to, you know, uh, probably the win overall. But I, I thought that's where it started. What did you make of that, uh, you know, series uh, of plays down there right before the uh, halftime where you got the fumble uh, right there? I thought it was huge uh, because, as you mentioned, listen, they got a little conservative now. I, I did say that there had to be some balance, but, you know, I'm also a big believer in uh, being a little more run heavy in the second half of the game. Once, you know, you've got control of the game, which is exactly where the Rams were. They were in position to take complete control of that game. And then you can come out of the second half and be more conservative. That's when you can switch it over that first half. They came out aggressive and it was working for them. You know, Matthew Stafford was making big plays. And even though the running attack wasn't uh, spectacular, the passing game was making up for the for the lack of a running game. Um, and then that fumble by Cam Akers at the one-yard line completely shifted momentum um, because you go at that point from being up uh, three scores, what was it, 17 to three at that point? It was 20 to um, three at that point. So it would have been 27-3. So, you know, you, you can make it very easily make it a four-score game. And, you know, then you have Brady playing catch-up in the second half where you can completely switch your game plan to conservative game plan. And you know, Brady's going to want to throw the ball. So then you can really pin your ears back and get after this guy. Listen, this Rams defense, they had pressured Brady 17 times, the most he's faced pretty much all year long. Uh, and, and it impacted him. Now they didn't put as much pressure on him in that second half, which I was a little uh, confused about because that first half, uh, at one point he had negative offensive yards that's how much pressure they were putting on him. And then you come back and you look at his numbers for the end of the game. He had 329 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and then that one pick, obviously, but you know, he got all his yards in that second half pretty much. And that's because they took the aggressive meter down on defense uh, and they took the aggressive uh, meter down on offense, which I'm okay with on offense, but defensively you got to stay on it. And I think I told you the Rams are a little, they're a little infuriating as a fan. Uh, because it seems like they've got so much talent on that team that at times they get bored. You know, you go back to that Niner game where they were up 17-73 at halftime, and they basically had that game in the bag. And then they come out second half, and they look like a different team. They don't look like the same team that went into the locker room. Now, it works sometimes, you know, when it's a close game. Uh, McVay has a, a good tendency to really get these guys fired up uh, and get them to stay in the game. But when they're dominating a game, it seems like they come back that second half 
a little too relaxed. Uh, I'd like for that to change, uh, especially going into the NFC Championship game. But listen, ultimately, they got the win. Uh, you know, they had some big mistakes that first half, as you mentioned, wasn't closed out the way we would have liked. But, uh, you know, they were able to overcome, which is, uh, I think, an important factor in the playoffs. Yeah. Let me go to the next sort of, I mean, to compound that, they come out uh, off that first drive, do get the touchdown. If you had gotten that touchdown right before the half, that's 35-3. And that's... That is a game over, but they got up 27-3, and really, you know, there there's nothing they could have done except start turning the ball over, and, and I mean not even turning the ball over because I think if you turned it over in your half of the field, I, I don't think the Bucks were capable of making long drives. I, I mean, you look at their scoring drives, uh, you have the Fournette, uh, touchdown, seven plays, 30 yards. That was off the Cooper Cup fumble. Uh, you have the one Mike Evans long pass. That was three plays, 77 yards, but 55 of that was off the, uh, you know, uh, one play off Mike Evans. We'll get into uh, what that defensive uh, decision was at, uh, you know, three minutes. And then you have the seven plays, 30 yards once again uh, with 42 seconds to tie the game. That was off the other Cam Akers fumble. So basically this whole game, Tampa Bay proved to you that they were not capable of taking the ball from the Ram, the Tampa Bay side into the Rams territory, making a full long drive and scoring touchdowns. So I agree. It was all right to go conservative offense. It's just, you can't make those turnovers and they made the turnovers and came back. I, you know, the Cooper cup one was really probably him just being a little bit over aggressive, trying to, you know, stretch out a play that was dead uh, and him get a first down, which I don't know if you can fault too much because, you know, uh, he hit a third and uh, 20, I think, in this game, uh, doing the same sort of thing. Granted, uh, they left him single coverage for some reason. We'll come back uh, to that uh, once again. There were a handful of times they left him single covered. Why you leave one of the top three receivers in the game single covered, I don't know, but hey. The triple whatever. crown winner at that. <laughs> whatever you want to do, but... You know, basically, at 27-13, it, it stayed that way. Uh, you know, the probably the biggest turning point is when they force that fumble uh, with Brady, and then, of course, the next play snap over their head, uh, you know, and they turn it right back over. I think uh, we did have to get the paddles out for you after that because I think you took an exhale breath and, like, all right, we're fine now, and then uh, one <laughs> play later... <laughs> You're like, crap, we're still having to fight this off. But that's what I, at at 3.20, uh, before the Mike Evans pass, 3.20 left of the game. It's 27-13. Uh, there's really not much of a chance of comeback. And they get into that defense where they single cover Mike Evans. No safety help. I get it, Jalen Ramsey, one of the best corners you're willing to do that. But this is game situation once again. The only thing that can hurt you here, Tampa Bay didn't have any timeouts, is one big explosive play. Only thing that can hurt you. I'm not saying go into the Buffalo Bills prevent defense here, uh, but I mean, how about just a little help on a guy? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on a guy who main thing is catching jump balls. He's probably the best receiver at catching jump balls since Calvin Johnson came in the league. So Ramsey, who had, I, I wouldn't say great coverage on that one, uh, but still you're leaving him exposed. Even if the throw isn't that good, Mike Evans 
can jump up there and get the ball. I did not understand that defense at that point in time whatsoever. Listen, you mentioned that the last time we were talking as we were kind of going back and forth, uh, you know, about the game when we saw each other afterwards on that Monday, uh, that Monday morning. And you said, I don't understand why you'd switch Ramsey onto Evans yeah. instead of using two guys with, you know, using a corner on, on, on Evans and then have safety help over the top. Uh, and then just have Ramsey lock the one guy down by himself. Yeah. The only one I don't understand thought, uh, either. Scotty Miller was hurting anyone on that day was uh, Chris Collinsworth, who I don't know, saw a fellow white receiver. And he reminds was... him of himself. <laughs> 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 no, but listen, I, I, again, a lot of this, you can't, you can't count Tom Brady out. If you give him, you know, an inch to breathe, he's going to try and make plays. And that's just what he did. Uh, but listen, if this was the regular season, I'd be trashing the Rams for the way they they almost gave that game away. Uh, but listen, Von Miller said it. This is the playoffs. It's never perfect, but what matters is the win. So now they advance. They showed a lot of good things. They obviously got some things to clean up. But if if we don't have those four, those four fumble loss, oh, this is this is a complete domination. Exactly. Yeah, it's so, forty two ten or something. You know, we're talking about the most exciting, uh, you know, divisional round weekend in in, his, in recent history, at least. Um, and yeah, you know, they were all one score games. But realistically speaking, this game could have very easily been a blow up. Yeah, very easily. And, and that's a little bit shocking when you talk about the defending Super Bowl champs. Now, I know they're banged up. I know they, they had some guys recently come back. So there's that whole dynamic of, uh, you know, uh, meshing uh, and that flow, the natural flow when you've been playing together for a long time. Uh, so I get all that. But this is defending champs with, you know, Tom Brady, number 12 in, in the, you know, in the back. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it felt like it, it was the right way to end it in a closed matchup. Uh, just just because, you know, it, it's, it's such a special season in the sense that we don't know what Brady's going to do now. We don't know. It, I don't know if you heard his, uh, his latest uh, thing yeah. on the podcast. Uh, he does with Larry Fitzgerald, but it kind of sounds like he's getting ready to call it. I think he's probably, I think this is it. I think he reads the tea leaves with Tampa Bay that, you know, uh, this run's probably done. Uh, I mean, there will be no Antonio Brown next year, obviously. Uh, you hey, know, wait, wait, sorry to cut you off, sorry, but real quick. Did he did he join uh, Baltimore? Uh, no, I, I don't think he did. I think... Uh, he tweeted a picture of himself yes, in a Baltimore I, I uniform. Lamar was you know, doing some fun stuff. Uh, he's going to regret that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that considered tampering? I don't think so. Cause he's a free agent, but, uh, um, you know, Godwin will maybe, uh, be back at some point now, granted they franchised him. So th that's completely up in the air, uh, you know, based off how he progresses off injury and whether they, you know, give him a contract cause he was under the franchise tag. You still got Evans there, but I, I think you see a little bit of diminishment every time with Evans where he's, he's sort of more just, uh, you know, uh, going into a phase like where Des Bryant went towards the back end where it, it's pretty much all jump balls. You basically send him down there. He's got a huge big body and he, he can get those. But I don't think he's quite as open as he used to be. Uh, Gronk looked, I, I thought, pretty creaky. Uh, towards the end of, you know, I, I don't know if you have to do where you give him a year off and then he comes back for the rest of uh, his career. He's just uh, every other year type of tight end so he can fully heal, you know, 
Fournette and Ronald Jones, uh, and then that defense, at some point, those guys are all going to want to be paid a lot. So I, I just wonder if he's reading the tea leaves here. I don't know if he'll want to go to a, another team, uh, you, you know, so that would be the only thing. But I think he reads it and probably reads this Tampa Bay team and saw it just like you did, if not for stupid turnovers. I mean, this game's 42-10. to 10. Now, listen, I know that, you know, they don't take uh, voting during the uh, postseason. It's all done, you know, during the regular season. But um, I think that this pretty much solidified the fact that that at the very least, Cooper Cup should earn Offensive Player of the Year at the very least. Uh, you know, we saw the top MV, MVP candidates basically get booted out of the playoffs at this point and both uh, in pretty bad performances compared to what we're used to seeing from them. Uh, whereas in Cooper cup, you know, you know that he's the guy, you know, he's the guy you got to lock down on the guy you got a key on. He had a big game, nine catches, 183 yards and one touchdown on 11 targets. And another guy that I want to talk about that we really haven't talked about much this season. He's been really quiet. And that's a good thing is Odell Beckham jr. Uh, he made some big plays, some big catches, some nice sideline catches uh, to keep, you know, keep keep the uh, the chains moving in this game. And uh, I think that he deserves a little bit of credit here, uh, not being a distraction, uh, which is something that we're used to OBJ. You know, he's used to uh, being a big personality in the locker room, and it's not something that I'm really getting from him here in L.A. Uh, he ended up the game with six catches, 69 yards on eight targets, so uh, not a monster game, but still a very productive gay, uh, day for him. And uh, he did have some key situations there. So uh, I thought I'd give them a little bit of love. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let me get to the last two big plays here. I, I mentioned about Derrick Henry sort of wearing down in that second half. You know, Akers has another fumble, uh, which led to, you know, Fournette's uh, drive there. I just thought it was weird that they, they rode Akers, you know, 24 carries on there, one for Sony Michelle, uh, when, you know, probably since, I don't know, week eight, week nine, you know, Sony played pretty well. I, I mean, you know, Sony is not going to dazzle you with, you know, wow, explosive plays. But I just thought it was weird that basically you take a running back who had missed the whole year, still coming off Achilles' recovery, and you make him pretty much play that whole game. And I thought fatigue probably played a little bit on that fumble as well, where he's, you know, he's just a little too tired to get that second arm on the ball. He's trying to grind out yards, body a little fatigued, popped out. I just didn't understand why they didn't uh, split the carries a little more uh, that way, especially since you pretty much knew no matter what, it was probably going to be three yards, no matter who your running back was at that point. Listen, I think I have an explanation for that, okay? And uh, and I think what the way it is is that first fumble, I think, was kind of, yeah. you know, it could have gone either way. It, was it, just, it, just, it just, Yeah, it just happened. You know, guys just happened to land on his head. He didn't land on any other body part prior to the ball coming loose. It could happen to anybody, you know. And I think, you know, 95 out of 100 times he holds on to the ball or a different part of the body hits, hits the ground before first. the ball comes out. You Correct. Know? So, so uh, you know, that one I'm not putting too much on. But I think that because he didn't play all season long, because he's coming off injury, you know, the coaching staff really wanted to keep him motivated and, and keep him on a positive note. So they wanted to keep him confident. So what do you do? What do you do to keep a guy confident? You scratch out that last mistake and you – 
keep feeding them as if nothing's ever happened. Uh, I, I, you know, we go back to the regular season and Sony Michelle, and I believe I was one of the few people that said, I'd rather have Daryl Henderson uh, running the ball as opposed to Sony Michelle. I don't see that oomph from Sony Michelle. I don't see that burst. And you're right. He's not flashy. He's not going to dazzle you, you know, with glitz and glamour. That's not the type of running back he is. He's a grinding running back. He's the kind of running back that when he falls, he falls forward. He's going to get you two yards, even if he gets stopped at the line of scrimmage. That's the type of running back he is, and that's how he played. He played really good football enough to where I thought he deserved to get the start for, uh, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, now we're here in the playoffs, and again, I think they're trying to keep Akers confident because in McVay's mind and in the rest of the coaching staff, Cam Akers is a difference maker. He's a home run hitter. He's a big playmaker. And if you can utilize him in a game, almost like the Titans with Derrick Henry, you know, he's a big play guy. Um, and that's, I think, why they're utilizing him the way they are. But I think this next game for San Francisco, uh, I, I think that they're going to go with a little more balance. I still think Cam Akers is going to be the featured back. Yeah but I think they're going to try and balance the carries a little bit more because it's definitely a huge stark difference between uh, the amount of work that he got, Sonny Michelle, and the amount of uh, Cam yeah. Akers He got. didn't even have, you know, uh, a handful of regular season games like Henry had. I, I just thought it was weird. It's like, you know, uh, basically second game back, uh, and, and, you know, you, you sort of even scratch that Arizona game. Uh, I mean, that whole second half is – was basically, you know, an exhibition game. Uh, you know, those aren't real, you know, game, game carries. I just thought it was weird that you, you take a guy who probably isn't in NFL football game shape, you throw him into the biggest pressure situation in the playoffs, and you're like, here, have 25 carries, Sony have one. I, I just thought maybe it's eight carries for Sony, you know, uh, 16, 17 for Akers. I thought that probably would have helped. I don't know if it would have saved the fumble. It just, it seemed like throwing him right into the, you know, deep in there, uh, probably not the greatest strategy. You're, no, but you're right though. That second fumble did seem like a lot of it had to do with fatigue. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he was fatigued, but that's just what it looked like as a fan watching the game. Yeah. It just looked like he got a, you know, a little sloppy and that's what happens when you get fatigued, you know, ball sticks out a little bit. You don't want to, you know, put that other hand on it. You know, your people are grabbing at your legs. You don't quite have the drive you had at the beginning of the game, stuff like that. We'll now hammer Tampa Bay's uh, poor defensive strategy here that led to the Rams win. Uh, first off, when uh, Stafford scrambles forward and drops the ball, uh, where was your head at at that point in time? Listen, it's not where my head was. It's where my heart was. My heart was literally down on the floor, soaking my my Nike Rams, you know, custom shoes uh, with blood uh, because I thought the season was over at that point. Um, yeah. Listen, I got to give Stafford a lot of credit, okay? Uh, you know, he came into these playoffs not ever winning a playoff game before, and the big question mark with him was, can this guy win a playoff game? Now, you know, when the Rams brought him in at the beginning of the year, everyone kept saying Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl or bust. How can you make the narrative it's Super Bowl or bust in the beginning of the year? And then we get into the playoffs and the narrative is we don't know if this guy can win because he's never won a playoff game. You can't, you know, really switch it up, especially when the Rams start the season off super hot and ended kind of uh, lukewarm, uh, so to speak. But listen, uh, Stafford led his 43rd career game-winning drive, which is the most since 2009 when he came into the league. 
and we're talking about this is including playoffs. A guy who's been in three playoff games prior to that and lost all of them, he leads the NFL in game-winning drives. So there's definitely something there. Uh, I just don't think he's ever really had a chance to show it. And now he's got a really good team around him, and he's got the ability when he's playing the right type of way, when there's balance on the, on the team, this is the type of performance that we can expect from Matthew Stafford. Yeah, definitely so. All right, uh, we'll get to the next two plays after the uh, scary uh, fumble there. Um, if it wasn't the Bucks go, uh, leave Cooper Cup, you know, uncovered for a 20-yard pass. I get it, you know, 20-yard pass that, you know, brings the clock down, you know, a little bit. Granted, the Rams, the one thing I will say, a- at least had a, you know, um, a timeout to play with there off the, you know, Matthew Stafford sack there. So it saved him a handful of time. You get burned once, Cooper Cup 20 yards. I am okay with it. You know, they were on the 24-yard line there. It brings it to the 40. Not, I, I'd say, too much to worry about, especially since you just watched uh, Matt Gay uh, somehow come up short on a 47-yard field goal. Yeah, what was that about? How uh, was that even? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I thought it was good. They flashed some graphic where he, like, kicks 60% in Tampa Bay because that's where he originally started, and, like, 93% everywhere else. So, clearly, there is something in his head there. So, you know, I, I think anything 50-plus, you were probably okay, uh, you know, giving up there. I don't know if Matt Gay would have been able to hit it, especially since we just saw him come up short on a 47-yarder. I It's probably the early 90s, the last time I saw an NFL kicker come up short on a 47-yarder. But, uh, you know, the next play is the Cooper Cup basically runs down, I don't know, untouched, unmolested the whole way, uh, just with one safety deep, one-on-one, and uh, I, I will say Matthew Stafford stepped up, hit the perfect throw there. Uh, but I need your explanation of what the hell defense Tampa Bay was in and why you're all out blitzing and leaving one of the best receivers uh, uncovered with just a safety over the top. Listen, I, I, the only explanation that I could come up with is the fact that it was, I talked about it you know, during the pregame show that we did is one of the ways that you affect Matthew Stafford is by pressuring him. The offensive line has had his struggles throughout the season as far as protecting Matthew Stafford is concerned. Um, and I think that, you know, they, they brought the corner on the blitz, which basically left the safety one-on-one with Cooper Cup. And, uh, Who was also you know, like not- 40 yards off him, so Cooper Cup had a, basically a runway fighter jet. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and listen – there's a lot of talented safeties out in the NFL, but you know, there's very few safeties, especially this year that can keep up with Cooper cup one-on-one. And it was just, uh, I have no clue why that, that was a call on defense. You know, that the one thing you can't have is to give them something deep. That's it. Just don't give them anything deep. Keep everything in front of you so that you make it at the very least a very tough long field goal, which Matt Gay already missed. Now, you know, speaking of Matt Gay, 
how good must it feel for him to kick that game winning field goal, uh, you know, from the same team that basically cut him. Uh, and, and now he's with the new team. I'm just glad it was the 30 yards and not, not, not 37. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he was short. I have no explanation for that one. But listen, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't explain to you what the defensive coverage on that was or what the at least the thought process was uh, for calling that defensive play. But it worked out in our favor because uh, Cooper Cup was able to get free and uh, Matthew Stafford hit for that big bomb, uh, which basically I'm, I, I stood up at that moment and I'm screaming uh, like that Lions fan was uh, that I spoke about a little while ago. And I'm screaming, clock it, clock it, clock it. And my wife is looking at me like I'm some insane guy who just left the loony bin because I'm jumping literally six 16 inches off the ground. Oh, no, it's 16 is not very high, but I'm jumping really high off the ground and, and I'm swinging my arms and I'm going crazy saying clock it, clock it. And um, I even thought that they might, Matthew Stafford might take a risk. I don't know if you noticed, but there was a defensive lineman for Tampa Bay that was way behind yeah. on that play. And he could have, you know, taken a knee on that play or he could have clocked the ball and it would have been an offsides penalty. So you would have got an extra five yards on that. But in fact, he waited till everybody was properly set. So there was no penalties for either side and they were able to kick the game winning field goal. So, but yeah, I can't explain it. I can't. Uh, It's just come in with your uh, size and uh, your 16 inch vertical, uh, your combine score. Uh, Doesn't leave you with a very high grade, uh, just to let you know. There's a reason why this is the football that I'm tossing around and not, and not a, uh, you know, a professional NFL size football. All right. Well, the Rams uh, make it interesting, but get the win to the conference championship game uh, versus the 49ers. Uh, we'll get into that uh, over the uh, weekend here and uh, see if we have a feel on this one and can the uh, basically curse uh, be broken on that one. So, uh, so you thought the Rams game was a was an interesting one. Well, uh, the Chiefs Bills uh, turned out to be the uh, game of games uh, to watch. But uh, Chiefs winning overtime on a walk off. You know, I, I think after watching this game, I, I think we we've sort of moved on from the old guard of quarterbacks here, pretty much officially. You know. Uh, Brady, Rodgers, you know, Manning and Breeze haven't been in the league, you know, now for a little bit. But I, I think these two are, are sort of the new era that uh, has sort of put themselves. These are the best quarterbacks in the league. When you have these two guys, you're winning 10 to 15 games no matter what, and your team has a chance for a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, before we dive into the game, uh, the way both guys played uh, was just at a freaking ridiculous level. It's sort of sad that one of these guys was going home after watching this play. Yeah, definitely. So listen, you know, we talked about how this whole divisional round was basically walk-off games all, all for the, all four games, but this probably had, you know, as a Ram fan, obviously I took more excitement in my Rams team, but if you're just an NFL fan, just watching football, this was the game of the week. This game had everything you could have wanted. It had, uh, you know, plays on defense. After not, we've not just many, spent but... like an hour 20 uh, breaking down the other three games, this was yeah. the game of the week. Yeah, this this was definitely the game of the week, man. And, and, but listen, we had a few defensive big uh, defensive plays, which are always nice to see in playoff games. But if you're a fan of offense, man, this game just had it. It had everything you could ever want. Uh, you know, this was also the uh, – 
the first playoff game in history to feature two quarterbacks that threw for five touchdowns or more in their previous playoff game. Uh, so you knew that we were going to have some firepower coming into this match. And the question was, which defense will do enough to slow the other team down? But uh, obviously, you know, we know what happened, but let's get into it. Yeah, uh, so this thing started off, uh, Bills came out real aggressive, two fourth down, you know, plays. Uh, you saw, uh, you know, Josh Allen lower his head and, and start, uh, you know, laying down the boom there. And I, I was like, this is a, a good, good sign for Buffalo. They're, they're going to open it here, and they're going to try to beat this Chiefs team. And, uh, you know, you had that, but then, of course, the Chiefs come right back down, uh, put together an 11-play, 74-yard uh, dive, tie it up. And I thought that's where sort of things got a little bit uh, weird, where we didn't get, you know, the fireworks of the last, you know, uh, basic uh, three minutes of this game. It, it sort of, I thought, turned in the Chiefs' favor here, uh, where the Chiefs started playing a, a long possession, long drive game. They had that 11-play, uh, 74, five-minute touchdown drive. Uh, next one down, 12 plays, 86 yards, 651 comes off the clock. And I thought, you know, Buffalo sort of was okay playing that. Probably uh, to protect their defense a little bit, thinking the less it was on the field, uh, you, the less it got exposed, which, uh, you know, sort of held true uh, in the last two minutes in the overtime there. But I also thought it hurt the Bills here. Uh, I think in that first series when Mathau went out, I thought that left Kansas City secondary like totally, totally explode, exposed. And I, I'm just curious your thoughts on this. I thought at that point, I, I thought Buffalo sort of just opened this puppy up and, you know, sort of went defense be damned. We're turning this into the biggest shootout ever. And, and they sort of, you know, crept along and played, uh, you know, that long possession game with Kansas City until those fi final, you know, five minutes when they were like, all right, we have to get this. And then they started, you know, being real aggressive, playing fast-paced, and that's when this game opened up. Now, that being said, the Buffalo defense got totally exposed and probably is what cost them the game there. But I, I thought they had a shot there once Mathau went down to turn this into a shootout. And I think offensively, I thought Buffalo was a would have been more able to win a shootout than Kansas City. I'm curious your thoughts there, or did you like sort of Buffalo's game plan here, uh, keeping this tight until the, you know, basically the last five minutes of the game? Listen, <clears throat> I think it's really hard to fault or, or you know, point fingers and say that they could have done this differently and they probably would have had more success because realistically speaking, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that Kansas City scored that touchdown in that over late in that game, then, you know, Buffalo gets another shot and we, who knows what's going to happen. They're both having a, a lot of success, you know, at getting into the end zone late in that game. Uh, I think the biggest difference in this game realistically is exactly what we keep talking about when we talk about this Buffalo Bills team. It's the lack of a running attack through a running back because Josh Allen did his thing. Okay. Yeah. He made big plays. As you mentioned, he was, you know, no pun intended. He was ramming people, you know, he was putting his head down. He was running through defenders. I mean, it's, it's kind of satisfying to watch, you know, a quarterback who is usually at least, you know, in reference to size, smaller than some of these defenders, uh, you know, and, and they kind of slide and take a knee to avoid uh, being hit by these guys to have a quarterback that's heftier, 
that these defensive players just put his head down. He's running through you. He's going to try and get to where he's trying to get to, whether it's through you or around you. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I think that was the biggest difference. You look at Kansas City side of the ball here. You know, they had uh, 60 yards from Lair. They had uh, 24 yards from uh, McKinnon. Uh, and then Patrick Mahomes himself had 69 yards rushing now. We know Patrick Mahomes is a great athlete. We know he can run the ball. He can get out and he get big chunks of play. We just don't see it as often because they do a really good job of keeping him, keeping him safe and, and protecting him. Uh, for the Bills, you know, Allen had 68 yards rushing. That's 6.2 with all the carries he had, 6.2 yards per, per carry average. His running backs, on the other hand, Singletary had 26 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. You know, that's just uh, not going to cut like- in a- you know, ninety uh, percent of that also on that first drive. Uh, yeah, and that's just not going to cut it. You know, when when you don't have to worry about the running back. And listen, he only got five targets in this game. He caught four of those, so at least he helped a little bit in that sense. But it's almost like you're xing out a player, a player you no longer have to account for when you don't have a, a productive running back back there. You can't have the quarterback be the most productive running back. I know it looks nice, and you know we constantly praise you know Allen for being such a good athlete, but it's not good for him and his team when he is the main, you know, uh, source of rushing yards. You can't, uh, listen, I got some stat here somewhere. Uh, Josh Allen led the bills in passing and rushing in four of six career playoff games. Yeah. How many playoff games has he won? I you know, that tells you all you need to know, but yeah. that, that, that tells you all you need to know. There's a reason why there's no Super Bowl there. It's because he's he's having to do everything. And it goes back to the preseason when we started talking about this team, you know, will Singletary step up the way we expected him to step up the year before? Obviously, he didn't do that. He had big, big games. I'm not taking that away from me. He had big moments where he made some big plays. But look at the stats, man. You know, both, of, both these teams performed really well offensively. The biggest key difference in this is the running backs. You know, Kansas City was able to get more production out of their running backs. And then you take, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes was also rushing the ball. And it adds a different dynamic that the defense, which the Bills defense was one of the top defenses in the league all year long, now has to account for not just a successful running attack, but a successful running attack from the quarterback. And then not just that, a passing attack, you know, with Kelsey was on, Hill was on. I mean, they were just doing a really good job offensively at keeping uh, the the Bills defense on their toes, and they just didn't know how to react. And I think that was the biggest difference in this game. Yeah, uh, definitely so. All right, let's uh, jump to some key points. And, you know, basically, until that, you know, last, you know, six, seven minutes of the fourth quarter, I don't think there were a ton of key points. They sort of played solid defense. Both teams were trying to make plays. you know, uh, Hardeman hit that nice uh, 25-yard run to make it 23-14. You wondered if that was it. Buffalo then hit that one-play 75-yard pass to Gabriel Davis. Uh, you know, 23-21 game on. And here's where I think the game flipped, uh, you know, in, in a couple different ways. Um, Bills uh, punt the ball. Uh, you know, Andy Reid, uh, who, you know, I think previous to his Chiefs tenure, we probably hammered. Uh, about, you know, his postseason coaching. But uh, the move to put Tyree Kill uh, back there and, and return punts, which you don't do in the regular season for obvious reasons. Uh, but I, I thought he read the tea leaves in this game and was smart to make that move. Uh, has a huge, huge punt return, which I think uh, I'll talk about here, you know, on the uh, 
you know, field goal with 13 seconds left, which might have played, you know, into the head of, of McDermott and the coaching. But the Bills defense steps up, four plays, six yards. We can probably uh, get into the decision on third down. We hammered uh, them for, you know, running out of the shotgun. They didn't run out of the shotgun, but they did put Blake Bell in an option play on, uh, uh, you know, a third down. Uh, and I think it was about two. So, Backup tight end, option play. Not quite in love with that call uh, when Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill are pretty much destroying uh, everything you're doing in life. Uh, but, you know, I, I think people are hammering, but they might not know, but Blake Bell was a, a quarterback at Oklahoma. He switched over to tight end his last year. So it wasn't a scary decision in that he can't take a snap or run the option. He was basically an option quarterback in college up until, you know, that point. So uh, it, just a weird play call. Bills get the stop. Field goal, 26-21. They're right there. They have that ridiculous 17-play drive the Bills do that takes up seven minutes, get the touchdown, you think game over. What did you make of that series of plays before we get into the Tyreek Hill, uh, Gary Davis, uh, you know, who's going to be a fun trivia question for you in 20 years when I say, do you remember Gabriel Davis? And then 200 <laughs> yards and four touchdown game he had in a divisional round. But that series, uh, what'd you make there, Uh at that point, did you think the Bills had this at 29-26 with uh, about a minute left in this game? Now, listen, I'll be open here. Uh, you know, I, I had a parlay that I did prior to us doing our pregame show um, in which I was just going with gut picks. And in that in that parlay, I had the Niners, I had the Rams, I had uh, the Bills, and I had the Titans. Um, obviously, two of those didn't turn out the way I thought, but as – as those plays were happening, the ones you just mentioned, I thought, man, the Bills are going to win this game. I, I really thought, thought they that were they were going to win the Super Bowl after that 17 play, 75 yard drive. Yeah, it, it looked like they were finally taking control of the game. They were locking down clock management. They were locking down, uh, you know, moving the chains. They were really wearing down that defense to the point where I thought, this is where the game's going to turn. This is where it's no longer, uh, you know, in Patrick Mahomes' hand. It's it's in Josh Allen's hands. It's in his legs. Uh, they're going to wear down this defense to where, from this moment on, they're not going to be able to stop anything that these guys try to do. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case, which you'll get into more. But I really thought that that was a turning point and that the Bills were going to win that game. Uh, but obviously, that's not how it worked yeah. out. So the Chiefs get the ball back, and uh, I – once again, I think this is going to play into that decision on the kick we'll get into. But, uh, you know, they hit Hill on a 64-yard pass for a touchdown. You know, takes up, you know, 50 seconds. That leaves uh, about a minute on the clock here. My question on this play here is uh, they blew a, a little bit of a defensive coverage. They were supposed to double him over the middle. Uh, the safety went to an outside receiver. Uh, but that trailing corner... Uh, was right behind him, and he, he sort of tried to grab Hill but missed. But my question is, at, at that point, when you see what's opening up and, and you see that sort of runway that Tyreek Hill had, uh, basically you give him that runway. Uh, you aren't going to stop him. I don't care how many people are sitting back there at the goal line. I, I don't understand at that point where you just don't concede it, tackle him, pass interference 15 yards, uh, you know, eat uh, – that play and don't let him catch that ball at that point. I get it that a 
ton of stuff is going on and you're having to try to think in that, you know, split seven moment. But I mean, that's sort of the decision that turns a game. You make that tackle him pass interference penalty. Maybe you hold on and win this game. Uh, but yeah, 64 yard play by Tyreek Hill, just a, a ridiculous play to put the chiefs back on top here. Yeah. Listen, as you mentioned it, you know, uh, for a lot of these players, uh, automatically going for a penalty when you're beat is not exactly the first thing they have in mind. Um, you know, you could probably attest to this a lot more than I can as you watch a lot more college football than I do. But there's a lot of instances where I've seen college games where the defender knows he's getting beat. Yeah. And his first instinct is grab on, take the flag, take the penalty. It's, it's better, because especially in college where they don't do spot penalties, um, it's better to take the... 10, 15 yards that you're going to get yeah, penalized. Especially since um, that was about a 12-yard cross. So it's not exactly. going to affect you. Exactly. So it's better to take these these penalties than to give these plays. But in that situation, I, I don't, I just don't understand why that wasn't the first thought in their mind. But again, I'm not going to fault him because there's so much going on, as you mentioned, that sometimes it's easy to forget the situational moment that you're in either. Cause yeah, I mean, basically it's literally from the moment that you see the quarterback yeah. releasing the ball to know where you're at yes. on the field. So and I Hill get was it. almost in full sprint there. So, and not just that once Hills on in full sprint, yeah. who's really going to catch him? You know, there's only a handful of people that I feel could potentially catch Usain up to him. Bolt. I, I don't know yeah. if he can play corner or not. Uh, he's pretty long. He could, he could probably, he could probably pull it off. Kind of like a Baron type of uh, quarter slave slash safety, maybe linebacker. Yeah. All right, so we flip things back over. Bills get the ball with a minute left. Just uh, the grittiest of gritty drives. You know, fourth and 12, and Allen just drills a freaking pass into Gabriel Davis for the touchdown, 36-33. Uh you're thinking he's golden. And at this point, I really do. I'm like, oh my God, Buffalo's going to win the Super Bowl this year. They're locked in Super Bowl champ Buffalo Bills. And I was like, that's kind of fun. You know, it's ridiculous to pull this game out, you know, having to bounce back and bounce back. And uh, just a, a crazy great play by Josh Allen and Gabriel Davis, who uh, put that uh, corner right on his butt running that route. Yeah, now it's crazy to think that you know, we're literally seconds away from the Bills going to the AFC Championship yes. game now. Obviously, there's no guarantee that you're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, you still have to play against the Bengals team that's probably just as hungry and uh, also has a lot of talent. But, you know, you start thinking about these things. You know, I started thinking about like, huh, a Bills-Ram Super Bowl. I was like, that'd be interesting to watch. You know, be just because it's not something that you're accustomed to seeing all the time. It's also kind of like a feel-good moment for, you know, one of these franchises like the Bills, who how many times they make it to the Super Bowl without winning one? Uh, you know, so it's all these things start coming into play. They start playing, you know, things in your head. But uh, obviously, you know, you've got more to, to talk about. So yeah. <laughs> let's keep going. All right. So let's go to the decision of decisions here. Uh, 13 seconds left. I will Kansas, not enough time, right? Yeah. Kansas City did have timeouts. Let's I think people are, you know, brushing past that that they had timeouts, so it's not, you know, a Dallas Cowboys situation where you had to run up and spike it. They had timeouts, so they were able to, you know, keep the whole field open and call timeouts after completions. 
But nonetheless, they still choose to kick the ball out of the end zone. Now, I'm thinking probably not at that time, but with a, a day or two, I think the coach's decision was Tyreek Hill was back there, able to field a kick. I think basically the last two plays that Tyreek Hill had touched the ball, he had the 64-yard you know, uh, touchdown off the pass. He had that punt return where he basically weaved through, uh, you know, I think 35 uh, Buffalo Bills players, <laughs> you know, to get the punt down. And I think it crossed his mind, we don't want Tyreek Hill touching this ball. I don't know if that's the correct decision, but I think that sort of played into it along with, you know, a couple things that could go wrong with the squib kick there. Maybe it accidentally, you know, hits, uh, you know, uh, one of those up front guys. You give up field position. I don't totally agree with the decision. I think you got to burn as much time off that clock as you can. I mean, even if you have timeouts with eight seconds left, that's maybe one and a half plays, which is different than basically the three plays they got to run. What'd you make of the decision to kick the ball through the end zone there? Listen, I, I was a little, it was a little weird for me, especially like, listen, I understand that there's timeouts left on, you know, and I, what it does is it changes the perception of that defense of what's available to the offense. Yes. Because when you have timeouts. Yeah, when it's eight seconds to 13 and you have timeouts, that's probably four plays you can run. Then. And not just that, you're not limited to just, two. you're not limited to just, you know, going to, to outside, outside the numbers. Yeah. You can go there, you know, down the middle, or you can, uh, you know, do a screen. You, there's just the options become more, uh, more endless, so to speak. You know, so defensively, it makes it a little harder to try and, and kind of, you know, uh, put together the right type of scheme, the right type of defense to stop because you don't know exactly what they're going to run with. Um, so I think there was a complication there, but listen, ultimately, you know, we we know how it turned out. We know what the what the ultimate, you know. Um, what the score was at the end of the game here. So it didn't quite work out for the bills, but I, I think it's hard to fault them still. Just be just based off the scenario that they were in. Yeah. Uh, you know, chiefs get the ball two timeouts left. We have to ask, what'd you think of that? I mean, they were in like balloon, balloon prevent. They basically just gave up a, a straight line to both Hill and Kelsey you know, free 20 yards. I didn't love it because they had two timeouts. Once again, I, I think they'd been scarred a couple times by, you know, big plays hit by them, and they just didn't want to give up the touchdown and lose. But, uh, you know, I, I thought you needed to be more aggressive, you know, on your corner-wise and not just give them free 20-yard, 20 yards. Uh, granted, very difficult kick by Buckner. You know, a 50-yard field goal and that sort of thing is not an easy thing, especially since he had missed an extra point and a field goal already. But I, I, I just thought you got to be a little bit more aggressive on the corner. Maybe give him a 10-yard window, but to give him 20-yard window back-to-back, -back, I just thought that was way too soft a coverage. Well, listen, this is the thing. Again, we talked about the timeouts. You know, when you have timeouts – you don't necessarily have to go for the big play. You don't need the chunks, you know, in one single play. Um, obviously, you need to move the ball, but it opens up things as far as to where you can target the ball, where you can put certain guys at, you know. And, and I'm not totally opposed to going and prevent defense because, 
we've trashed several coaches for not yeah. going into preventive this season, uh, you know, when they should have. But I, I still think that you probably didn't have to necessarily go into preventive defense at that moment. I think that there's def- different defensive I, I schemes you could have used. Soft coverage, just play you yeah, know, exactly. sort of a, a soft cover to make them. If they get a ten yard play, that's much different. Make them than a 20, make them throw it down the middle. Play. Yeah, make them throw it down the middle. Make them throw it in front of you. You know, but this is the thing: you also can't let them throw it in front of you with twenty yards in front of you. Yeah, that just makes no sense because at that point, all you need is two plays to get within range. So, you know, like you said, maybe a little more conservative than that. Maybe like, you know, half of that 10 yards cushion, you know, where it gives it gives you some room so you don't get beat deep, but it also prevents them from getting all the chunk plays in just two plays. Yeah, uh, it's hard to question. I, I just thought they were it seemed like they were OK conceding the field goal as long as they didn't concede, you know, a, a 64 yard touchdown like they did with Tyreek Hill. I, it just seemed like they got a little too scared that something really, really bad was going to happen instead of something just bad was going to happen. We won't talk about the overtime because, you know, basically whoever was winning that coin toss was going down the field and scoring a touchdown. I, I don't think there's any argument about that. You know what's I, funny, though? Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but uh, I was listening to uh, sports radio after that game, and um, they brought up that, Back when the Chiefs lost in overtime, yeah. where they didn't get to touch the ball against Brady, I think it was. Yeah. Um, where Clark they was petitioned, offside and he threw that pick. Yeah, they they, they petitioned the NFL for a rule change, uh, which was basically that both teams during the playoffs would get an equal shot yeah. at winning the game. So it wouldn't come down to the coin toss. Uh, and you fast forward a couple of years, now they're in that situation. Yeah. So I'm sure that they were probably thanking uh, – the NFL for not listening to the request uh, back when they first put it in. Yeah. All right. So that's what I want to ask you. Do you like this overtime setup? I, I, I mean, we we just probably had the greatest four minutes we've probably ever watched in a, a football game here. And basically because Josh Allen caused tails, uh, he never even sees the football bills go home. I, I, it's hard to figure out a way to do it. Exactly. You want to say, well, defense stops somebody. But then you're like, well, if Allen had called heads, the Chiefs weren't stopping anybody and they were going home. So I just don't know quite how to do it. I don't think you can do the stupid college overtime team where you start everybody from the 25-yard line. Uh, In that game, we'd still be playing today. But uh, nonetheless, should they switch it to where at least both teams touch the ball? Listen, I, I understand the argument for that, okay? I, and if it was my team, I'm sure I'd be clamoring for it. But the truth of the matter is that this is the NFL, and in the NFL, uh, we always say big teams big, make big plays and big moments. Big players make big plays and big moments. And even though defensively they hadn't really stopped anybody to that point, uh, I still think that, you know, you're talking about overtime now. You're talking about this is it. This is it. Last stand. Either you stop them hold them to a field goal or we're done. And I feel like somebody had to step up at that point and no one did. And, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, the chiefs ended up with the ball. So they were able to score. And that's just the way it turns out. Like I said, if it was my team, I'm sure I'd cry for it, but it's not my team. Uh, And and I think I'm taking more of a neutral position here. And I think that, you know, maybe we should just keep things the way they are. Uh, At some point you have to, put something on the defense there's got to be uh, you know a reason for the defense being on there otherwise 
put the offense out there and if they can, you know, throw against just four corners and three wide receivers and score them. I mean, there's just so many different ways you could go about it is what I'm trying to say. So I think we'd leave things the way they are. Uh, it was a great game and it, a lot of people will be talking for a long time, uh, but we move on from there. Uh, I think the biggest thing here is, you know, a question that I want to ask you, you know, we talked about home field advantage prior to the playoffs. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and we, how did Don't that really work think out it, this weekend? Yeah, it didn't really matter much this week, right? But, you know, I was looking at, uh, like, the stats here, and Sean McDermott, uh, he is 0-4 in road playoff games and 3-0 and at home. Yeah. How much of that, you know, whole game would have played out differently had the Bills been at home? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it probably would have played out sort of like it played out. I, I just... Maybe because the weather probably would have been really, really bad. We wouldn't have gotten the offensive type shootout. But, uh, you know, I, I talked about it earlier. I, I think not having it as shootout sort of favored the Chiefs. So I, I think they were better at playing sort of those long drive possession games, uh, which sort of lends itself to you saw it going before the, uh, you know, fourth quarter trading of touchdowns. The Chiefs had a, a slight advantage playing those that sort of more uh, slow, up-tempo, long-drive game. So maybe it would have helped because the Bills fans are crazy and, uh, you know, a couple of noise penalties maybe on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but overall, I, I just don't think it I just don't think it affects anything anymore. Uh, you know, we'll probably get into it when we talk about the Rams-Niners games. But with all these second-tier ticket sites and reselling, you know, basically in any one of these cities, you know, Kansas City sits in the middle. There are fans from all over that area that can buy tickets and come in. It's not just sort of a local thing anymore, uh, you know, other than maybe in Buffalo, who uh, no one is <laughs> traveling up to. Uh, you're sort of uh, insular in your uh, uh, Buffalo Bill fandom because I, I doubt anyone from, you know, like New York City uh, is coming up to, you know, be a Buffalo Bill fan. Uh, well, first of all, that's that's assuming that uh, anyone from New York City would have a reason to go to a playoff game in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, see, that's so. what I mean. So I I think any of these, you know, big-time towns uh, like this, I, I just think... Sorry, New York fans. <laughs> home field is sort of just lost its luster because I, I think the secondary ticket market plays a factor. I, I mean... Uh, just overall comfort has played a factor too. I mean, you go back to the 60s and 70s, these guys are taking bloody buses <laughs> into their town and sleeping in comfort inns, uh, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, now they're chartering private planes and have sleep coaches and all this. So, you know, it, it's not so much of a burden, you know, travel-wise, and they're so, you know, in shape and ready. So I think a lot of things play a factor in that, and I don't think, there's just really any home field advantage really anywhere other than maybe like a weather game, but you watched in the San Francisco green Bay. It probably hurt green Bay more than it hurt San Francisco, that weather. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I did want to bring up one overtime thing that I saw and read. Um, uh, I think, 30, 40, maybe 50 years ago, the Patriots were in an overtime game with the old school overtime rules uh, where they lost and uh, by a field goal and the uh, owner uh, made a, a plea to the league that if the team scored, the other team got the ball and had that exact number of plays uh, to score the game. <laughs> no, that's, see, that's a little too wild. That's, I, I, 
I think when you start getting into all these, you know, you, you can only throw the ball this many times or this person ran the ball this many times. So they have, to, I think that's just going a little too, too crazy. I, listen, it's not perfect. You know, nothing, nothing about the league is perfect, but it's the NFL. We love it. We, you know, we talk a lot of smack about it, but every year when we get close to the end, we all get really sad and then we all get really pumped up when it starts up again. So um, it's working. It's working right now. It's not perfect, but it's working. I know, but that, that would be fun as we keep charting how many plays you can have Tony Romo and Chris Collinsworth with a little ticker. Oh, Mahomes only has He's three got two more left. plays to get it into the end zone here. Yeah. that I guess that would be interesting from a fan's you know, perspective, but I think from a, you know, like a quarter, think about it. What if you go into overtime and Patrick Mahomes throws one, or or sorry, Josh Allen throws one pass to Gabriel, who's a, yes. a beast that day, and it's one play touchdown. So you can uh, tell me that Patrick Mahomes, be, Mahomes launched an eighty-yard ball into the end zone. <laughs> See, but I, I think it takes away from the from the luster of like you know of it. it what can happen? What can yes. when there's one play. I mean, the odds are very unlikely you're going to score. Uh, but, I mean, I can see how it would be fun. Yeah, I don't think that rule's uh, getting uh, instituted. Uh, it didn't get instituted 50 years ago, so I don't think it's getting instituted now. But nonetheless, great games. Chiefs move on to set up the uh, Bengals-Chiefs matchup that we got a couple weeks ago. So rematches in both. Uh, we'll be back uh, Friday or Saturday to do our preview show of the games uh, should be an entertaining uh, championship Sunday. Uh, where can we find you Achilles? Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at TD Achilles. All right. I'm champ Chesterfield. Be sure to like, and subscribe to green light network. So you don't miss any of our shows. Our college basketball show is going on right now. College basketball, the road to madness with dynamite David, as we start to phase out of football, it's winding down phase into college basketball and uh, maybe phase into a couple other shows. We'll see if we can get uh, Achilles Rain to join with us on some other shows here as the NFL season winds down and uh, he goes into his summer of hibernation. Yep. All right. That's our show and we're out. Mm-hmm.